0: Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. The Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog that focuses on the ritualized year, folklore, and history, lovingly researched and recorded by your hosts, Margo and Sonia. Hi, my name is Margot, and I have a master's degree in American history with a focus on indigenous studies. And I'm Sonia and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history. Alright, this week's topic is Earth Day.
1: Earth Day! A relatively new holiday, but one that is close to our hearts.
0: And that is becoming more and more relevant with every passing day.
1: Yes, especially considering that it's April and weirdly warm here in Canada, so you might be hearing traffic because
0: my windows are open. Same. Also, fun fact, this is, uh, on record, the earliest that the cherry blossoms have bloomed in Japan for, uh, 1,200 years. (laughs) So, we're doing great, guys. We're doing amazing. Everything's great.
1: Also, apparently, all the baby seals are gonna die because they're gonna drown from there not being ice floats for them to float on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Love love that. The, love the, Nat Geo, the good news we the get on. Instagram really uh bait and switched me on that because it was like, look at these cute pictures of baby seals on our story. And then you flick through and then it's just like close up of a bunch of dead seals. Uh
0: that's anyway, very upsetting. Have been
1: like some sort of warning there. Because it was just mm. a lot of a lot of dead seals. Wasn't into it. But um one thing you can do to help is celebrate yeah, Earth Day. I mean, We're going to talk about that and all of the cool history things cuz last year was the 50 year anniversary of Earth Day. So this is the 51st Earth Day. Woo! Here on Earth.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Margo, I'm going to let you take it away because, you know, my time period happened before, you know, anthropogenic climate change was a problem. Industrialization wasn't
1: really a Yeah, I
0: mean, the big concerns in the Middle Ages were like, eh, like, I guess we've been cutting down all these trees. Do you think we're ever going to run out of trees? And they're like, "Mm, probably not. But like, we'll we'll have some rules in place. You know, early Middle Ages starts out like, yeah, cut down all these trees. And they're like, wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. We need to have some rules. And that's about it. That's, you know.
1: Yeah, so fun fact. um, Scientists have been reporting uh, man-made climate change um, specifically as a result of fossil fuel and coal burning since the 1860s. We've known about this for so long. Pretty much as soon as industrialization started in uh, the UK, they were like, hey, this is causing uh, bad stuff. Um, maybe we should do something about it. And they were all like, "Nah." Wow. So
0: so that's... glad we've come so far. <laughs> so they we've really it... advanced as a society.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they let it pretty much run rampant. Uh, just industrialization, doing whatever it wanted. Um, big industry polluting all of this jazz for roughly a hundred years. Um and then a couple of things happened in nineteen sixty nine. Uh and a couple of years before. So around nineteen sixty nine, there were a few things. Um so the the first big one is well not the first temporally, but the first one I'm gonna talk about is that the Cuyahoga nice. River um in Ohio caught fire. Um, which is a thing that rivers are not supposed to do. So there's a relatively small fire, but still a fire on this river. Um, And Time magazine did a story about it. And there are pictures um, and a couple of US senators took it up as like, we need to fix this. Um, There shouldn't be rivers catching fire. Um, The other thing is that uh, it was in that decade that Rachel Carson's book Silent Spring, which you might know about, uh, was published, and I'll go into that a little bit more. And then in 1968, there was the famous Earthrise photo from NASA, which is like the first big sort of like portrait of Earth. Um, That's all you can buy. it. It's in like most school science classrooms now. Um, but it was really the first time people saw the whole earth, how it looked from space. Um, and that really started this move toward like thinking about the environment, um, as something that like people should be protecting. So about the, so, um, one of the things I was also reading about with the Koyahaga river is that, um, it had actually, caught fire at least 12 times in the century before the fire in 1969 um hold on, let me just find this so it at least in 1868 1883 1887 1912 1922 1936 1941 1948 and 1952 uh were the confirmed records, um, the the records for the firefighters right. and from the city itself are, are a little sketchy. But at least those times it's been confirmed that there was a large fire on the river. Um, and they actually, when Time printed the story about the fire in 1969, they used the photos from 1952 um, because that was a much larger fire that caused um, millions of dollars worth of damage and killed some people. The one in 1969 was much smaller. Um, I think it was about $500,000 worth of damage and two boats that sank. Um, But, like, before this time article came out the pollution in the river was viewed as a sign of prosperity that yeah. people had jobs um that people were working in the steel mill in the town um this is in Cleveland. um but and i'll quote a, a little bit from this article about it from the smithsonian that um Between 1952 and 1969, Cleveland lost about 60,000 manufacturing jobs, and deindustrialization took hold alongside the civil rights movements and protests against the Vietnam War. Um, so people, right, were in general becoming sort of more radicalized. Um, and the, the manufacturing prosperity wasn't, um, as prevalent in the town. And so it was really just like a a horror of like rivers shouldn't be on fire. Um, and it really was like, so there were a couple of senators who took up this cause, but it was also this massive um, grassroots organization that really got it going. So uh, Rebecca Rubin, who's a public historian um, says that the story goes that it was the 1969 river fire that directly led to the establishment of the Environmental Protection Agency. But I think it was a bit more complicated than that. Uh, for people who weren't paying all that much attention to environmental advocacy, it's easy to get behind the cleanup of a river that's on fire. So it became a sort of way to nationalize this movement. Um, but other than that, it was really... Um, uh the wisconsin senator gaylord nelson who ran the like sort of initial um push to get a holiday or or an advocacy day that would make environmentalism a political issue um he sort of started getting uh Getting this rolling, um, with his staff and with a um, Democratic operative, Fred Dutton, and then shortly after that, they, uh, they got um Dennis Hayes to he had started organizing um teach-ins. Uh, that was sort of inspired by the civil rights movement to start teachings at universities and public schools about the environment. And he then got um, Julian Koenig, who it was made famous um, with his ad. He's a Madison Avenue ad man. And he started the campaign for Volkswagen, Think Small, um, that was later called The Greatest Advertising Campaign of the 20th Century. Um, And that campaign in and of itself had a lot of sort of like environmental roots. It was going directly against the major cultural forces of the late 60s, early 70s that were pushing towards like big muscle cars and um, these like V8 engines. And instead saying like, hey, you should get this Volkswagen Bug and like have this tiny little efficient car um you shouldn't be like spending conspicuously uh so he came in right yeah so that was uh really the move behind that ad campaign and so koenig uh was asked you know can you help us find like something that'll like be a little punchier than a teach-in like what what can we call this uh like organizing and so he like came back a week later with a bunch of mock-ups for ads and they had a bunch of different days um but his personal favorite was called earth day and they were like yeah this is great and um that's where that term came from and they were still like about a year out from like actually having earth day physically happen um and they could have mm-hmm. taken that ad and like had it copyrighted made sure that all of the organizations that were like doing anything with that term were like doing it specifically how they wanted to but they really wanted it to be a global movement so earth day can be used by any organization it's not copyrighted; like the term is up for, yeah. for use by anyone um, and yeah so then for that first earth day they had about 20 million americans um came out to demonstrate for environmental reform um it's now observed in 192 countries um and mostly coordinated by a nonprofit called earth day the earth day network um Which Mm -hmm. is pretty freaking cool. And so, and it's been, uh, they had some in the 70s, some very specific political actions that they were trying to push for. Um, this is where the like dirty dozen came from, where they decided instead of just trying to promote, um, politicians who have like a good environmental platform, it was, well, why don't we take out the 12 worst um, and make sure that politicians know that having a poor record on uh, environmentalism and climate concerns is a serious detriment to their campaign. Um, it was relatively successful. They also were able to get, um, this is during the Nixon era, the clean air act clean water act and endangered species act among others like all sort of pushed through congress this is when the epa becomes a thing um all sorts of really intense legislation to protect uh, especially people and the environment surrounding industrial manufacturing sites which is really pretty cool
0: yeah can i just also Uh interject here to add nixon is one of those figures (laughs) where i'm like You did so much wrong, and yet (laughs) I'm just always surprised, you know, when you hear something nice, and you're like, "Wow, huh?" Yeah, (laughs) you did that one (laughs)
1: polarizing,
0: um, and an interesting figure to say the least. Yeah, uh,
1: and so like the sort of the the thing that I really want to talk about with this Earth Day is the role that. the, the labor movement has to play in the environmental movement. So fun fact, the largest contributor financially and in terms of like actual labor towards Earth Day happening towards the first Earth Day was the United wow. Auto Workers, which is the largest union in America, um, which like you wouldn't uh, think no. of auto workers and Earth Day. It's like a thing together. Um, but Uh, as Dennis Hayes says, uh, the UAW was by far the largest contributor to the first Earth Day. Its support went beyond mere financial. It printed and mailed all our materials at its expense, even those critical of pollution belching cars. Its organizers worked out, turned out workers in every city where it has a presence. And of course, Walter then endorsed the Clean Air Act and the big four were doing that the big four were doing their damnedest to kill or gut. Um, so yeah, it the the largest supporter for many many years of uh, the environmentalist movement was organized labor, which is really interesting. Um, the president Walter Reuther, who of the UAW, um, when he was uh, writing his first check to support the first Earth Day, um, he ended up giving a speech. Um, where he says, and I think this quote is just like great, the labor movement is about that problem that we face tomorrow morning, damn right. But to make that the sole purpose of the labor movement is to miss the main target. I mean, what good is a dollar an hour more in wages if your neighborhood is burning down? What good is another week's vacation if the lake you used to go to is polluted and you can't swim in it and the kids can't play in it? What good is another $100 in pension if the world goes up in atomic smoke? Yeah. So like, there's... From the very beginning of the environmentalist movement, they're really seeing that, like, this is a labor equity issue as well, especially if you look at the places that were being polluted, which is these manufacturing towns, very, like, not in my backyard kind of situations where it's like, we're going to put these factories in the poorest places because it's going to be polluting and it's going to smell awful and it's going to, like, cause cancer, um, yeah, and it's going to be wage workers who get sick because of it and wage workers' children who get sick because of it. Um, there's also Hayes in 2009 gave an interview with, I think it's the Rumpus, um, where he says something, she, the the interviewer was asking why it seems like it's so hard to get through new um, environmental legislation in the US. Yeah, here. Um, oh, here we go. So yeah. um, he says that the world is well past its long term carrying capacity for human beings living in a European, much less American, lifestyle predicated on planned obsolescence. So obviously, what he means here is he's talking about like a post industrialized uh, European cultural moment um but back to his quote international economic growth is largely a matter of accelerated movement of materials from mines and forests to the dump instead of saving and buying decent furniture we can pass on to our children we charge our credit cards for shaped heaps of sawdust and glue that fall apart in three or four years the economy favors throughput over quality and craftsmanship and economists are terrified because the american savings rate has crept upward from about zero to almost five percent but the mortgage crisis and the burgeoning credit card crisis are causing americans to become wary of irresponsible debt um which like i don't love how he's phrasing that but he is talking about something that is very close to anybody who who wants to take part in like an organized labor movement which is that a living wage is an environmental issue um we, people can't afford to own homes can't afford to like make sure that their appliances are green or that they're not using all these or that they're buying you know heritage furniture because you, if you don't have enough money to make that more expensive purchase up front that will last you longer and in the end be more environmentally conscious and more savings conscious like you're going to have to rely on you know ordering stuff from amazon getting ikea furniture uh fast fashion you know whatever decades old appliances your landlord has in your rental apartment like these are all things that are both a issue for labor and for fair living standards and you know eradicating poverty as well as for the environment the best thing that we can do for the environment is to take apart capitalism (laughs) right and take apart that culture that capitalism pushes us towards of like you need to be spending and
0: buying constantly um pushing against them well yeah because i mean the whole thing is you know just capitalism requires constant growth basically there is no okay we can just have like a nice steady economy no 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 it's well you have to buy more and spend more and have more production and more output and more productivity and it's like but for for what so that more stuff can go in the dump and like even even talking about a lot of these uh, things that you know it, it's also an issue of like paying people better and also holding these larger, you know, legislating these larger companies to produce in more responsible yeah. ways. I mean, the whole zero waste movement was initially aimed at saying companies should produce packages with zero yeah. waste. And then it got turned around into, oh, it's your fault for buying buying things things. that are packaged. It's, like, it's not even necessarily that buying the furniture from Ikea, right, is, like, necessarily bad. The issue is, like, that they, like, all the packaging and plastic that comes with it, like, you know?
1: Yeah. And, um...
0: I just, I have feelings.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and some of the the largest polluters are also things like, so industry, but also travel. Um, The fact that North America doesn't have, like, high-speed rail or anything like that. Um, In this interview, Hayes also brings that up um, and talks about how... uh, yeah so that like we need to build high-speed electrified trains over the most traveled corridor it's really hard to power carbon-free airplanes but electrified trains are much easier we'll still be a half century behind the japanese but better late than never um and he talks about how it really has to be like public funds that go into like making sure that these movements are going to happen that like the trains get built and that uh we give grants or subsidies to companies to overhaul the systems that they're using to uh, produce things because like, you yeah. uh, he says up here that um, in this America in the 1970 was similar to business in China today. Even if a CEO wanted to be a responsible s- citizen, uh, he simply couldn't invest a billion dollars in pollution controls to produce a product that was indistinguishable from those of his competitors. Um, and he says that like money matters and time is running out like we're racing against time uh to make sure that we can like keep one keep public funds in these projects and get them started like get the trains built get like public transport going uh start you know renovating these uh factories and production companies and the way that we transport our food and the, where we're growing, where we're growing food even, because like the issue of, uh, like agriculture in California and the water waste is a huge deal as well. Things like that. Um, yeah, but there's this idea that like, if, if we wait on it or if it's not like publicly funded or if people have to do this individually, that, there's not going to be the money for it that it's going to be too expensive. But like, also if we just really do think about like the point of it being that like capitalism is what has caused this problem. Um, And we acknowledge that like money isn't real. (laughs) Like we don't, there's not a shortage of, of money or of resources or of people looking for work that can, can do this that's not the problem it is a a manufactured issue it's not a real issue um and if we do like bring people together and show how all of these issues intersect it can be really really powerful because if we look at all of the things that they got through in the 70s this is because they created a political coalition between what was before disparate groups so you have you know these massive national unions you also have the anti-war movement um and you have people who are upset about you know highways going through public forests as well as people who don't want freeways going through the inner city so he says uh he says politicians had always viewed environmental issues as narrow things of no great consequence um But a big part of the reason was that groups that cared about wilderness didn't talk with the groups that were trying to stop freeways from cutting through their inner cities, and neither of them to talk to the folks who wanted to stop the military from dumping Agent Orange on Vietnam. So what they did was really, like, point out that all of these were environmental issues. Agent Orange killed farms and poisoned people all across Vietnam, horrifying toxic waterways as a result the pollution from industrialization has been causing like acid rain and smog and all sorts of issues in cities all around the world. And like, you know, it's becoming this global intersecting uh, issue. And we really have to think about it that way. Is like, if we're going to get everyone on board with things like a living wage, with things like environmental protections, we need to show how they're linked together. Because the, you know white kale mom probably doesn't care about $15, you know, for the person, you know, working at the Whole Foods. But if you say, like, by making sure that everyone has a living wage, they'll be able to make environmentally, like, sustainable choices, then that might, you know, help turn those tides. If we want to talk about like how the US should you know roll back the clocks on its <laughs> military industrial machine you know we have to talk about how like the US military is one of the largest produce like pollution producers in the world because of the manufacturing and because of I mean literally just because of like bombing but also it's just like such a massive production now monster and it's making things that like the military doesn't even want or need. There's a great story about um Black Hawk helicopters, like they were just making like <laughs> a fuck ton of them. I'm not supposed to curse. They were making a whole bunch of these helicopters that the US Army did not want. They had nothing to do with them. They didn't have anywhere to put all these helicopters and they were like what are we going to do with this? But the senator from the state where it was being produced couldn't go back to his constituency and say that, like, we're not going to be making these anymore Yeah, because that was where their jobs were, right? And so, like, they just kept making all of these helicopters that nobody's using. Is literally just making it for the sake of making it. We can turn that funds, we can take those public funds and put it towards get all of these, those people building the high-speed rail cars or you know solar panels or hydro dams literally anything else um and it'd still be spending you know taxpayer dollars but towards something that someone might actually someday use Uh, which is how i feel about political organizing and earth day but yeah, so I mean, the history of this like particular holiday isn't super long. Again, it's only been around for sixty years. Um, we could chat more about Silent Spring. Um, it there is a new version of it, a fifty-year um, anniversary edition of it that you can get the ebook of, which is super cool. I started reading it yesterday. Um, it's she wrote that about the use of DDT and how it was killing the songbirds, and so the spring was going to be. You know, without the bird song, um, thus a silent spring, uh, and that book really—it was about the ways that are um, that the wilderness really is on top of where humans live. That we're not separate from yeah. what we view as nature, and that our actions yeah. are like part of that. So but yeah it's not like super long there is though we are going to include in the show notes uh the link to this year's earth day organizations like which all of their events are going to be online um like open access to the public so you guys should sign up for that it's going to be really cool um they have three days of events all different things um with speakers from all around the world um and some like actual actions that people can take to like you know political action things like that. You can also join um, your local climate coalition uh, if you're in Montreal. That's what it's called. It's the Montreal Climate Coalition. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a uh, super cool. Um, but yeah, so this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. But until next week, we'll be coming back with another super fun guest episode. So if you like hearing about history and ritual and Baba Yaga, make sure that you rate and review us on iTunes so that more people can hear. <laughs>
0: And it does genuinely help push us up in the algorithm so that more people can find us and, you know, otherwise, like, subscribe, share with your friends, check out the Patreon, there's some fun stuff coming that way. Yes, please. And we have
1: uh, a month and a half until... The new season starts on June 1st, and we'll be launching our book club and Babiaga Discord and all of our extras that you can access through the Patreon. It's going to be so much fun, and we can't wait to see you all there. So. Thank you for listening to the Bapiaga Project, and as always, thank you to all our patrons for making this project possible. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and her website for the most up-to-date happenings in the project. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It'll really help us continue the project and expand in some really exciting ways, and there's Patreon-exclusive merch! Thanks again, and we'll see you next week!